And as a heavenly father, he inhabits, the Bible says, the praise of his people. And I'm telling you, when God's people come together in worship to him, there is a manifest presence of God that you feel among us. Can you say amen to that? And I don't know about you, but man, I'm addicted to that. I need more of that. I, I long for that. I can't wait to come together in corporate worship like we've done this morning and experience the manifest presence of God. It's refreshing. Now, don't, don't, please don't misunderstand me. God is with us at all times. But I'm telling you, God does something in corporate worship that He doesn't do any other place. And so I want to encourage you, get plugged in to the local church because God is working in His church. God has been working in His church. And I am thankful this morning that He is here with us in this place with His church. It's a powerful thing. So thankful for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be at this morning. I don't know about you, but this week has kind of been, um, for me, just a, a time to unplug and, and, and unwind. And that's really what, all I've did. I mean, I've, I've done a whole lot of eating and a whole lot of TV watching. And usually what I would do uh, since about a Wednesday morning or Thursday morning, um, I would get up get something good to eat, and then go back and lay down and rest until I got hungry again. And then you know, I would get up and eat some more. And I've done that pretty much all week. Put on probably 10 pounds, I would guess, uh, from Thursday until now. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. And it's, but yesterday evening, I, I kind of um, got to the place where I was ready to get out a little bit. Um, and, and so I went and, and ran some errands in town, had some things that I needed to do. And while I was out there doing what I had to do in town, my mother calls me and she says, uh, are you at home? And I said, well, no, I just ran to town for a minute. She said, well, I just went by your house and didn't see your car. So I didn't figure you were there. She said, when are you coming home? I said, well, I'll be home in just a little while. She said, well, I've got something for you. When you come back through, I want you to stop by the house and get it. So on the way back home, after I got finished doing what I need to do in town, I stopped back by mom's house, and when I walked in, she handed me a big bowl of turkey salad. And brothers and sisters, well, praise the Lord first and foremost on that. I, I don't know if you've ever tried any turkey salad, if you've ever experienced the blessing of turkey salad, but it is truly a blessing. If you don't know what turkey salad is, imagine tuna salad but with turkey. And mom makes that every Thanksgiving with leftover turkey, and that's my, that's my favorite part about the Thanksgiving food that's cooked. I love it. You take you some good fresh sunbeam bread and toast it real lightly, then some mayonnaise, salt and pepper, and turkey salad. That's about the best thing you ever put in your mouth. And we were enjoying that at my mom's house just yesterday. We were sitting in her kitchen, and my brother and my nephew come in. And my nephew's five. His name's Bryson. And uh, he is just a, a, he's the cutest little fella you'll ever see. And he's all boys, fun to talk to, I'm telling you. He'll tell you something if you'll listen to him. And so um, we were sitting there talking about what they'd been doing throughout the week. And, and he told me how his dad had taken him hunting, but because uh, he was kicking the side of the shooting house, there wouldn't no deer come out, so he didn't get to shoot a deer. And, and we talked about that for a little while, and how you got to be quiet hunting. And then finally I said, well, Bryson, let me ask you something, man. What do you want for Christmas? And, and at first he wouldn't tell me anything. Uncle Israel, I don't know what I want. I, he, he really wouldn't give me anything back. And finally I said, look, buddy, if you want some presents then you've got to tell him, give me some ideas. Tell me what you want. And he was so cute, man. He took his little hand, 
put it up on his chin like this. He's sitting there with his little square glasses on, you know, and, and uh, his hand on that chin. He's really thinking. He says, I want a bug juice. And I said, well, buddy, hey, I like bug juices, too. I think we can handle that. I know we can get plenty of bug juices. And he put his hand back on his chin. And he said, and I want a puzzle with 55 pieces in it. And I said, well, that's good. You like putting together puzzles? He said, yeah, I like puzzles, but I want it to have 55 pieces. I said, well, buddy, I don't know how close we can get to 55, but we'll get as close as we can to a 50. If any of y'all know where any 55-piece puzzles are, let me know because he's needing one. And so, but I, I said, look, we'll, we'll do what we can with the, with the puzzle. We'll, we'll get as close as we can to it. He put that hand back on his chin. He said, I want a hot wheel track with some hot wheel racing cars on the track. And I said, well, I know we can do that. Um, I, I looked at them just the other day. I thought you might want something with, to do with racing. And then he put that hand back on his chin. He said, oh, yeah, and 50 bucks. <laughs> <clears throat> they learned quick at five years old. We are in the middle of the gift-giving season. Well, let me ask you something. Why do we do that? Why do we look for the perfect gift for our loved ones at Christmas time? Why do we do it? Well, the reason we do that is really in observance of the gift that was given to all of us. And the way we celebrate the gift that was given to all of us is by giving gifts to others. We show love to others that has been shown to us. That's what gift giving is all about. The Apostle Paul says something here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 15 about the gift that has been given to us. Look how he puts it. He says, thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. Now, in some translations that probably some of you have, it's going to say they're the indescribable gift. And that's really what that means. He's definitely not saying that we shouldn't speak about it here in the King James. He's saying that the gift we've been given, it's really difficult for us to put into words just how good it is. And, and that's true. He's speaking here of the gift of Jesus the Christ. He's speaking of the Son of God and God the Son coming as a gift to all humanity to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So he says, it's an indescribable gift. And this morning, what I want to do, and, and really from, from now all the way up until Christmas, we're going to dive deep into, in, in, into the, the truth of Scripture so that we might really find out what this unspeakable, indescribable gift is all about. So really what I'm going to do this morning, um, I'm going to try my best by the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, His help in my life, His help for all of us, to describe to you what the Bible says is really indescribable. But I'm going to do my best. And so uh, you bear with me and you get your Bibles ready because we're going to go to some different places and look at the indescribable gift and what it means for you. I've created an acronym for the word gift so that maybe throughout this Christmas season, when you think about gifts, you can remember these four things we're going to talk about this morning. Now, if we're talking about the gift uh, and we're starting with G, this indescribable gift, we, we've got G has to stand for grace. How many of you this morning are thankful for God's amazing matchless grace? There's the, the old hymn song puts it like this. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but 
Now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That song resonates with me. I can truly worship the Lord to that song because I've experienced the grace of God. I know what it's like to be lost and undone, blind and could not see. But I also know what it's like to experience this gift of grace where God has changed me on the inside and made a difference on the outside. So I can certainly say this morning, God's grace is truly amazing. The grace of God. What an amazing thing. What is the grace of God? When I speak the word grace, what am I talking about? Well, there's many different definitions that I like a whole lot, but my favorite one is God's undeserved favor toward us. Let me give you a good verse that teaches us more about that. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 8. You all probably have heard this many times. You've probably committed it to memory. A great verse in the Word of God. For by grace... Are you saved? If you believe it, say amen. We are saved by God's grace, by His undeserved favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. The moment we place our trust in the finished work of Jesus, I can promise you this, the Bible says we are saved by God's grace. Not because we deserved it. Grace is His undeserved favor and I think a lot of times what happens after we've been saved for a little while we forget where we were when Jesus found us and sometimes if we're not careful we walk around like we deserve salvation we can get prideful in who we are and what we do and when we do that we take away from God's glory. Amen? Listen to me, folks. I didn't deserve salvation the day Jesus saved me, and I don't deserve it this morning. Neither do you. Dr. Charles Spurgeon was once quoted, and he was talking about how someone in his church had really been running him down the road. I mean, they were saying all kinds of very negative things about him. And he went on to say, I love how Spurgeon uh, says things. He, he, he says it a lot of times better than anybody else. He, he said, you know what? You don't even know how bad I could be or how bad I really am. He didn't defend himself. He just said, you know what? I am a sinner. I am a sinner that has been saved by grace. And folks, I'm telling you, I am a sinner. I am not perfect. And listen, I still fail God. Not that I want to, not that I try to, but in this fallen human condition, in this sinful state that we're all still in, I can promise you we will fail the Lord. I didn't deserve salvation when I was saved, and I don't deserve salvation this morning. None of us do. If we get what we deserve, we get punishment for our wrongdoing, for our sin. But because of grace, we can be saved. We can be forgiven. His undeserved favor. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And then he says, and that not of yourselves. He makes it plain. It is the gift 
of God. Everybody say gift. How many of you know you don't work for a gift? Amen? You can't work for a gift. For, for, for the moment you, you work for a gift, it ceases to be a gift. He says in the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't boast and say, you know what, we're, we've done all of these good things, therefore we're worthy of salvation. We're worthy of being born again in the family of God. We're worthy of our sins being forgiven. No, none of us can say that. Not any man can boast because this gift that we receive, it comes as a gift, not because of works. It comes by grace. So what am I trying to say? Listen to me. You can't come to church enough to make yourself right with God. Now, am I against you coming to church? Absolutely not. I'm thankful you're here this morning. I want you to keep coming back. We love you. I'm glad you're here. But I'm telling you, just coming to a place of worship does not make you right with God. I don't care how many times you do it. Just singing a song doesn't make you right with God. Just preaching a sermon doesn't make you right with God. Just teaching a class doesn't make you right with God. Just giving money in the offering plate doesn't make you right with God. Even though all of these are good things that we can and should do, none of that makes you right with God. No work you can accomplish can make you right with God. That's why you need grace, and that's why I need grace. His undeserved favor. Listen, our works are not enough. We cannot boast in our salvation because we didn't earn it. We can't earn it. See, a lot of people spell salvation D-O. They think it's what you do that makes you right with God. And some people spell salvation D-O-N-T. They think it's what you don't do that makes you right with God. Amen? People say, well, you know, if I come to church and, and if I uh, give the money in the offering plate and I'm faithful to Sunday school and I just be the best person I can possibly be, then you know what? That's going to, one day when I stand before God, He's going to let me into His kingdom. Folks, you cannot do enough. Isaiah 64 and verse number 6. Brothers, put that on the screen for me, please. Look what the Bible says right here. Isaiah 64 and 6. Very powerful verse that we all need to get a hold of. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's the Scripture teaching there? It's teaching that the good things we do are like filthy rags. I've done some study on what that filthy rags actually means in the Hebrew language. And what that's talking about there is the pus-stained rags that are wrapped around the arms and legs of a leper. As the leprosy takes over a person's body, that those sores begin to leak, and so they would take those rags and wrap up, wrap up the places where those sores were leaking. So he's saying that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags when you put them up next to God's standard. See, God's standard is perfection. God's standard is holiness. None of us can be perfect. None of us can be holy and righteous apart from His work in our lives. None of us in ourselves can do enough 
to be right with God. And God loved you so much, He knew that. He gave you grace. His undeserved favor toward you. When we place our trust in the finished work of Jesus, for by grace, through faith, we receive salvation. This gift of salvation comes with a lot of perks. The gift of salvation offers to us forgiveness from sin. If you believe it, say amen. <laughs> that sin that separates us from God, we'll say more about that in a moment, but this salvation, this free gift that we receive by grace, listen to me now, it, it's, listen folks, it, it, it's... Um, it, it forgives our sin. Our sin is forgiven before God who is holy. That sin that once separated us from God can be washed clean by the blood of Christ when we place faith in the finished work of Jesus. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Jesus said, it's the Son that sets us free from our sin, John 8, 36. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Through the gift of salvation... Our sin is forgiven. Through the gift of salvation, you need to understand that sonship is realized. We become the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 says, We have not received the spirit of fear, uh, bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, for those who by grace through faith have been saved, been born again in the family of God, you are now an adopted son or daughter of Almighty God. What a blessing that is. Our sins are forgiven by the gift of salvation. Sonship is realized by the gift of salvation. Let me tell you something else. The Spirit of God, the God the Holy Spirit, indwells us because of this precious gift of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16 says that we are now the temple of God. That means for the believer, Christ dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Dr. David Jeremiah always said it like this, for every single person who's placed trust in Jesus, who have been saved by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit has came and set up residence within our heart and life. And he's right. Ephesians says we are sealed into the day of redemption. By the precious, powerful Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Now listen to me. That Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwelling on the inside of us, He don't need to only be a resident. But listen to me, child of God, Christ follower. Those who've been blood-bought, born again, those who've been saved by grace through faith. He don't need just be resident, He must be president. He must be in control so that we might be pleasing unto the Lord. This gift of salvation has a lot of perks. It's forgiveness of sin. Sonship is realized. The Spirit indwells us. Let me tell you something else that I love. Satan is defeated because of the gift of salvation. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I respect the power of Satan, but I don't fear the power of Satan. I respect him as our enemy, but I do not fear him as my enemy. Why? Because greater is he who's in me. Who's he talking about? God the Holy Spirit dwelling in every believer. Because of the gift of salvation, Satan has no power over us. 
Now, if you are saved, that ought to make you want to praise the Lord. And if you're not saved, that ought to make you want to be saved. By grace, through faith, we are saved. If you believe it, say amen. If we're going to talk about this indescribable gift, if we're going to describe this indescribable gift, we've got to talk about grace. G stands for grace. Let me tell you what I stands for. I stands for incarnation. Now, I, we could go through a lot of the theological arguments about the incarnation and what it means and why it means that, but I, I'm going to, this morning, for, because of lack of time, and we may look at some of this other later, but because of lack of time, I'm just going to give you the simplest definition I possibly can for the incarnation and what that truly means. It means that God became a man to do for men what men could not do for themselves. Every book of the Bible, all 66 of them, speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you are studying a book of the Bible, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and you don't see Jesus, reread it. Because you've missed the point. All the books in the Old Testament point to the coming Christ. All the books in the New Testament tell of His coming, what He has done for us, and what we as His people are to be doing for Him until He comes again. So whether you're talking about Old Testament or New Testament, all of it speaks of Jesus. He's the main character in every book. Let me give you a great verse. Colossians chapter number 2, verses 16 and 17. Watch what this says. Colossians 2, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or the new moon or of uh, the Sabbath. Look at verse number 17. Watch this. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now let me tell you what Colossians uh, 2, 16 and 17 is actually saying. All of those things that are being spoken of there, those Old Testament things, feast days and the law and all of that was mentioned in verse 16 was actually a foreshadowing of the coming Jesus. It was saying something in the beginning of the book that we should be looking for later on in the book. And so all of those things in the Old Testament was pointing to the New Testament and when Jesus came to do for us what we could not do. Now, when did that happen? Well, that all began when he was born um, of, of the Virgin Mary. We're, we're, that's what we're about to celebrate during this Christmas season. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Watch what the scripture says there. I love this. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. She was a virgin. She had never had sexual relation, uh, relations with a man. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called what? 
the Son of God. God became a man. But that was only the first part of our definition of the incarnation. God became a man to do for men what men cannot do for themselves. Why was it so important that God became a man? Because mankind had a problem. Dr. Charles, or Charles Johnson and the Revivers, I love them. They were one of my favorite um, Christian gospel groups. Uh, they, they played um, uh, Southern Gospel many years ago. Some of you may know them, but uh, I remember something Charles Johnson said in one of his concerts that's always stuck with me. And he was talking about Jesus coming to do for us what we couldn't do. And he said, you know, God in heaven looked down upon earth and he saw that we had a mess. We were in a mess. And then he sent his son to fix the mess that we were in. That's pretty good. That's exactly what Jesus did. He came to do for us what we couldn't do. Why couldn't we forgive sin? Why couldn't, uh, listen, what we do be acceptable to God? Because all of us are sinners, each and every one of us. And how many of you know, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. You say, brother, what are you talking about? We sin because we're sinners. I'm telling you, we came here sinners. Each and every one of us. The Bible teaches that Adam sinned all the way back in the garden, disobeyed God. And guess what happened? Sin entered mankind, literally. So that everybody that was born of the seed of Adam was born into sin. And i got to be honest with you. I struggled with that for a long time. And then I had children. And i got to quote what Dr. Tony Evans said. He's so, he's so right. He said when he held those babies in his arm for the first time, he looked at them and he thought, man, that's the most perfect thing I've ever saw. Uh, th th this, this baby uh, is absolutely perfect in every way. I, he loved it so much. And I know what he's talking about. He felt as though they were little angels <laughs> laying there in his arms. And he said it wasn't long after that he began to realize that as their legs grew longer, their angel wings grew shorter. And he's right. Why is that? They're just doing what was bred in them. They're not, they're not sinners because they sin. They sin because they're sinners. See, I began to realize with my children, I didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. They came here knowing how to do that. I had to teach them how to be unselfish. I didn't have to teach them how to lie. Right? They came here knowing how to lie. I had to teach them how to tell the truth. I didn't have to teach them how to fight with their brothers and sisters. No, I had to teach them how to be nice to their brothers and sisters. Why? They're sinners, not because they sin. They sin because they're sinners. All of us do. Why? We were born of the seed of Adam. We were born with that sinful nature. How many of you know Jesus was not born of the seed of man? He was born through the virgin birth. And the holy thing that was in Mary was the Son of God. He was born free of that sinful nature that all of us have. Why is that so important? Well, let's look at the foreshadowing. Remember I told you how that all the things in the Old Testament pointing to Christ? Now, I'm not going to flip back over there this morning, but I want you to do that in your quiet time this week. In Genesis chapter number 12, you're going to find the story of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. They were in bondage in a place called Egypt. They were in slavery there. 
And they began praying that God would send, them, send to them a deliverer. And he sent that man, and a, and a man by the name of Moses. He sent their deliverer in Moses. And when Moses got there, he told Pharaoh to let the people go, but Pharaoh wouldn't do it. And the only thing that caused Pharaoh to let the people go was when God sent the death angel to touch every home so that the firstborn in every house was killed, even the house of Pharaoh. But this is what God said to the nation of Israel, his people. He says, what I want you to do is take a lamb that don't have any spot or any blemish. You'll find that in Exodus 12 and 5. It couldn't just be any lamb. It had to be the perfect lamb, the most perfect one they had. Couldn't be a sick lamb, couldn't be a crippled lamb. It had to be the lamb without spot or blemish. And he said, what I want you to do then, you're going to kill that lamb and you're going to apply the blood of that lamb to the doorpost of your house, to the left side, to the top, and to the right side. And when the death angel comes to your home and he sees the blood, that death angel will pass over you. It's called the Passover. And all that was doing in Exodus 12 was pointing forward to the true Lamb of God that would one day come. Fast forward to Jesus. John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now the Lamb of God can't just be any old lamb. It has to be the Lamb without spot, without blemish, the sinless, perfect, holy, righteous lamb how many of you know jesus was born perfect because he was not born of the seed of man if you believe it say amen according to the word of god he was born as god's son and that what the angel told mary but guess what not only was he born perfect but he also lived perfect i couldn't be the lamb of god because i've got sin jesus could because he didn't have sin he wasn't born into it I can't be the Lamb of God because I've committed sin. And I've committed sin because I was born with a sinful nature. Jesus can be the Lamb of God because He never committed sin. And He never committed sin because He wasn't born with a sinful nature. But not only is Jesus born perfect and lived perfect, the Bible says that He went to a cross and became the blood sacrifice so that our sins could be washed clean. God has always required a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. It started all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God killed an animal to cover Adam and Eve. You remember it? God requires a blood sacrifice from a perfect lamb. And the only one that could be the perfect lamb was the Son of God, who is God the Son. God became a man to do for men what men couldn't do. Sin can't die for sin. But the perfect, holy, righteous Lamb of God can. And that's who Jesus is. If you believe it, say amen this morning. We've got to talk about grace. We've got to talk about incarnation. Listen, we've got to, we've got to talk about if. And if we're going to talk about if, we've got to talk about forgiveness. 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 How many of you this morning are thankful for forgiveness? Praise Jesus for forgiveness. Oh, I failed him so much.
made a complete and total mess out of my life. Got to the place in my life when I could not stand myself and nobody else could stand me, not even those who love me most. Got to the place in my life when I didn't even feel like life was worth living. I had made a mess of things so bad. Praise God for forgiveness. I am so thankful what Jesus said is true. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I was in bondage to sin, a slave to it. Could not break free until Jesus did for me what I couldn't do. He forgave me of my sin. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse number 7, watch what the Bible says there. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption. Everybody say redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's in Christ that we've been redeemed. We've been bought back from our old slave master, which was sin. We've been forgiven of our sins because of His shed blood. God said, the shedding of the blood of His perfect Lamb, amen, was enough for the payment for my sin and for yours. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have what? God said what Jesus, the Lamb of God, did was enough for my salvation, was enough for me to be forgiven. Now that sin that once separated me from God can be washed clean by the blood, by faith in Christ. We have redemption through His blood. Forgiveness comes in Jesus in this free gift. If we're going to talk about tea, We've got to talk about what Jesus made plain in John 14, 6. G stands for grace. I stands for incarnation. F stands for forgiveness. T stands for the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is a teaching today that whether you be Muslim or Buddhist, Hindu, whatever you claim to be, that we all serve the same God. Not so. There is a teaching today that there are many ways to God. Not so. People teach today that everybody is God's child. Not so. You say, brother, that sounds really dogmatic. Folks, this is not my truth. It's the truth because Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, not a way. If he had said a way, there could have been many ways to God. He said, no, I am the way. If you want to know the way to the Father, it's through me. 
I am the truth. If you really want to know what the truth is, who God is, who you are, how you can know Him, what His purpose for you is, it's found in me. And I am the life. If you really want to know what life is, eternal life, which is abundant life, I can give it to you. But if you're going to get it, I've got to give it. That's what he's saying. I'm not a way. I'm not a truth. I'm not a way to receive life. No, I am the way, the truth, the life. See, it's not me being dogmatic. Jesus himself is being pretty dogmatic. And I tell you this because I want you to know there's only one way to the Father, and it's through the Son. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Let me ask you something. If He is the indescribable gift given to us by God the Father, have you received Him? Do you know Him? Listen, this morning, I'm not asking if you know about Him. I'm not asking if you come to church, if you've ever been baptized, or if you're a good person. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Because He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It's by grace, through faith in Him, that we are saved from our sin. We are saved from hell. We are saved from Satan. It is through Him that we receive eternal life. Brothers, if you will, please, put John chapter 3. Verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus is the way. I've done my best this morning by the truth of the Word of God and power of the Holy Spirit to describe to you this indescribable gift. I'm still not sure I did it justice. But I know this. God's grace is available to you. God became a man to do for men what men couldn't do for themselves. Forgiveness is necessary so that the sin that separates you from God can be taken away, washed clean by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We all need Him. If you've not yet been born again, if you've not yet made the decision to trust by faith in Jesus, I want to share with you what that means. Everybody stand together, please. I believe... In a good old-fashioned altar experience. Let me tell you why. 
I received this gift that I've been describing to you this morning in a good old-fashioned altar. So I'm going to ask you today, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you're not, you're not sure whether or not you've received this free gift, let's get sure today because, listen, your eternity hangs in the balance. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not hath not life. And the wrath of God abides on you. Folks, listen to me. Today, you can be saved. You can be born again into the family of God. You can go from being God's enemy where His wrath is abiding on you to being God's son or daughter. All by grace through faith. I want to share with you what that means. Again, Walking this aisle don't save you. I sure can't save you, but I can share with you in the Word of God what it means to trust in Jesus. And that's what I want to do. Now, you, if you're here this morning and you have been born again, maybe you just want to come to this altar and pray for those that you know need Christ. Listen, lost friends or family members. I am so thankful I had people that prayed for me. And I believe that's the first step for God the Holy Spirit awakening that person to their need for a Savior is when people start praying. So let me ask you, do you know somebody that needs Christ today? Let's start by praying for them, asking God to do what only He can do in their life. Whatever you need this morning, God is able. Won't you come?